Pastor, it's good to be here with you today, and I want to thank you for that awesome time of worship. It's great to go right into the presence of the Lord like that. I'm glad my wife is here. Uh, she and I have been married now for 44 years, and you're wondering how old I am now, right? When I say something like that, everybody wants to know how old I am, so I'll tell you, all right? I was six when I was married, and she was five, and now you know, all right? Your pastor went to our college when it was Practical Bible Training School, I believe, right? A three-year program. And we are so honored to be here. Your church has supported our college for years. And every, uh, every single month, I sign letters of those uh, churches that have supported us. And your church is one of them, and you do it faithfully for many, many years. I want to thank you for that. And speaking on behalf of the Board of Trustees and also on behalf of our faculty and staff, and the students of Davis College, I thank you. Also, I want to tell you today that uh, our Board of Trustees has voted uh, to give you a gift today. And uh, the gift that we want to give you today is a scholarship of $4,000 that we give to your pastor. And we will put it in his name. It's a Timothy scholarship. And he can give it to whomever he wishes uh, to uh, come to Davis College and be a part of Davis College. And so that's to be given to you, pastor, and to your church. In fact, I have a certificate sitting on my desk at the office right now that I was supposed to bring with me, you know that, and give to you right now. So let's make believe we're doing that, Pastor. And, uh, but that's for you, sir, and that's for your church. And Kyle Schmidt is a graduate of our college as well, and we are so thankful for him, and I'm glad he's doing an internship here uh, at your church. These brochures are out in the lobby. Uh, these brochures will tell you a lot about the college that we have there about our uh, our various programs and concentrations. Davis College is a duly accredited college through Middle States and through ABHE. And this brochure will tell you a little bit about discovering Davis. This talks about transferring to Davis. And this also talks about high school students that take classes at Davis in what is called the launch program. And uh, we, you can go one of three ways to our college. You can come on site or you can go online. Or beyond that, you can also uh, come to Davis College through the teaching sites that we have uh, at our school. So we are delighted about all of that, and it's such a joy to be here with you today. I've written a number of books, and I brought three of them with me today. These three are for you, Pastor. This is a gift to you, all right? This one is called, What in the World is God Doing? It's a study verse by verse through the book of Romans. I was a pastor for 40 years. And several times I preached the book of Romans. Two times I took over a year to preach the book of Romans. Then I began to put all of the information into uh, outline forms and notes. And, and then we put it into this book. And this book in bookstores sells for $18.99. But today at your church, you get it for $10, all right? <laughs> what in the world is God doing? A verse-by-verse -verse study through Romans. And this verse-by-verse -verse study is through the book of Ephesians. It's called True ID. And it's a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Ephesians. And uh, this book sells for $15.99 in bookstores, but today, when you buy this one for $10, you get this one for $5, two books for $15. Now, some of you say, I want the $5 book and not the $10 book. Then this becomes $10, all right? And this becomes $5, it's two for $15. <laughs> and then one other book is the book of Colossians. The question is, is Jesus the only way to God? The book of Colossians is very clear about that. He must be the one in the form of a cross. And regardless of what you do with the other books, this is $5. You get three books for $20 today. And if you don't have money, that's okay. Just take the book. You can send it to us later, and that's perfectly right. Also, Davis College is going to Israel. And if you're interested in going to Israel, there's a brochure back there to tell you about it as well. Our college is 111 years old. Can you believe that? 111 years old. 
I was preaching up near Rochester not too long ago, and a little boy was there. Uh, he was a handsome boy. He looked like he'd be about seven or eight years of age, had a bow tie on, had a nice little suit on. His parents had really dressed him so nicely. And uh, he was standing back at the table, and he was looking at all of the information, and he was talking just like an adult to me, very, very intelligent little boy. And then at one point he said, now the college is 111 years old. I said, yes. Uh, he said, are you the founder? <laughs> I did not think he was that intelligent after that, just so you know, all right? Would you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans in chapter number 5? It's so good to be here today. And I want to speak to you in keeping with the Thanksgiving and holiday season of Christmas coming up on the subject of hope. And I want to bring you with this thought today. Hope, hope does not disappoint. Romans chapter 5, and I'm reading beginning in verse number 1. Romans chapter 5, and I'm beginning in verse number 1 I'm reading. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ to whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice, now notice the words, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, now notice, and character, there is again hope. Now hope, there it is a third time, hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. You'll notice in verse 2 it says rejoice in hope. In verse 4 the word hope is after character. And in verse 5 now hope does not disappoint. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13 the Apostle Paul said these words. He said at the very end of that great love chapter. He said these three are still there. He said there is faith. There is hope. There is love. When we think of faith, we think of the fact that God gives us faith to believe. We're saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And faith also is that which we believe. So we often hear about faith. He speaks here also about love. Love there is the Greek word agape, which has with the idea of unconditional love, that God gives to us an unconditional love. But it is interesting that middle word hope sometimes we bypass. Sometimes, like a middle child in a family, we overlook hope. But the Bible says hope. Now abides hope. And today, I would say to all of us, one of the great things that we need in the world that we are living in is hope. Back in the days of the Second World War, when England was going through its most difficult times, Sir Winston Churchill went to a place called Haran, an exclusive prep school, when England was not doing well. Many thought that his speech that he gave was an inadequate speech. In fact, some said it was perhaps his most inadequate of speeches. And yet in all of the speeches of that great orator, perhaps this is the best-known speech. He got up before those young people and he said these words. And again, England was going through its most difficult of days. He said, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 in nothing small, large, or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor in good sense. Then he said it again, never give in. He went back and sat down. What he was saying to England at that time was this. He was saying to England, we have hope. In his book, The Road Less Traveled, Scott Peck begins the book by saying these three words, life is difficult. 
And if you live long enough, you know that's true, that life is difficult. He goes on in his first couple of paragraphs and he says, when you accept the fact that life is difficult, then it's not nearly so difficult. And his first three words are so powerful, life is difficult. Some years ago, I was preaching at Tennessee Temple University at a Bible conference, and uh, I was speaking with a couple of other speakers, and one of the gentlemen said on Tuesday night, I'm gonna, he said, I'm going to speak on the saddest words in all of the English language. So I took him out to lunch that day, and I said, tell me, what are those words you're going to speak about tonight? And he said, you come tonight, and I'll tell you what those words are. And he got up that night, and he said, the saddest words in all of the English language are the words, no hope. One of my predecessors at Davis College, Woodrow Crowe, has said, hope is not what you do, hope is what you have. And Alexander Pope in his essays on man has said, hope springs eternal in the human breast. Now hope is not wishing for something. Sometimes when we think about hope, we think, I wish this would happen. I hope this happens, meaning I wish it were happening. And it's interesting, in the Old Testament scriptures, there are at least a dozen Hebrew words that can be rendered hope. One of those words, for example, is the word confidence. It's found 181 times in the Old Testament scriptures. 50 of those in the Old Testament are speaking about the idea of confidence found in the Psalms. Another such word is the word shelter. When the Bible says God is a rock of shelter or a rock of refuge. Another one of the words that is used is the word that means powerful hoping. When we have anguish and fear and pain, it's speaking about powerful hoping. In the Bible, in the book of Joshua, you remember when Rahab was putting out that, that special woven cord, that same root word comes from the word that we get our word hope from. It's the idea of an examination of God and finding that in God we truly do have hope. In the New Testament, we find a word hope that simply means a confident expectation. A few weeks ago in Binghamton, where I live at, we had a flood. Many of you probably read about the flood. And all of a sudden, there were 20,000 people displaced in that area. And we have a college. We're supposed to study. I tell students, do your homework, study, uh, make sure you have good grades and so forth. But now the whole community is in need. It was fascinating to find that our college on the hill that we are at, we live on a little bit of a hill there, uh, that our trustees had come in and fixed a number of buildings so we had no leakage whatsoever. And the whole town was underwater around us. So the Red Cross came in. The Baptist Convention of New York came in, Samaritan's Purse came in, 150 students came from Liberty University and some from Cedarville College, and we fed two to 6,000 people every single day off that college campus in that community. And you know, we could have gone out and given tracts, and I believe giving tracts out. We could have been doing a lot of preaching, and I believe in doing preaching. I am a preacher. But the fact is, when we did that, it was amazing how many people in that community were now finding at Davis College something they needed. They found it something in the area of hope. And I want you to know today, folks, we all need to have hope. Now let's look at this passage today, Romans 5, 1 through 5. And I want you to see with me five factors the Bible gives to us here about hope. Number one, notice with me that hope involves waiting on God. And you find that in the first three verses. It involves waiting on God. Romans 4, 5, and 6 speak about that great truth of being justified by faith. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we begin to learn what God has given to us. And I'm sure your pastor has taught you many times about the great theological truth that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So he says, based upon that truth that we have access in faith, in verse number 2 it says that we rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God. Notice he says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, turn in your Bible over a page or two to Romans chapter 8, and look with me at verse 23, and look with me at verse number 24. Go to Romans chapter 8, and look at verse 23, and verse number 24. And notice carefully now that the Apostle Paul is writing here about the suffering that we experience, and how it leads us actually on into glory, but it builds our hope. Romans 8, look at verse 23, it says this, Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit... Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, notice, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. He says, one day we shall have a brand new body. What do we call that? Well, look at verse 24. Notice it. For we were saved in this hope. There's the word. But hope, now notice this, that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Now, he reminds us here about what hope is. If you and I are talking after the service today out by the, the table and we're chatting for a while and I say to you, I hope to see you, you think, well, you're looking right at me. In a few more minutes, if I say to you again, well, I hope to see you, you might say, if you don't mind me saying so, you're looking right at me. And I am. Hope is what I do not see. For example, I firmly believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, went to a cross, died, was buried, and rose again. I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that he's coming again. And yet I have never yet personally seen Jesus Christ. If when we were worshiping so beautifully a few moments ago, if he had walked in here, we were worshiping. But can you imagine the level our worship would have gone to if we would have seen him physically? It had been overwhelming. Well, the Bible says here, when you hope for something, he is saying you do not have it. For when you have it, then no longer is it hope. Hope is what you do not see. Hope is what you do not have yet. Remember Noah? For a quarter of a century, God reminded him over and over again about the fact that there was judgment coming. And one day he saw that he would be delivered, but he had hope for all those years. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He went to his, uh, his brothers one day and said, Guess what, fellas? I'm going to rule over you. Maybe not the smartest thing he ever did was to tell them that. But he said, I'm going to rule over you. And one day he did. But it was all in hope. He had to have an experience through the pit and through the prison. Remember Moses in the Old Testament, 40 years, he was tending sheep in an Arabian desert. David running from Saul when God said, You're going to be the king. The prophets all waiting for a Messiah. Simeon and Anna waiting for the consolation of Israel. Remember the paralyzed man at the pool waiting for somebody to put him in? It was all hope until somebody put him in. Mary and Martha, when Jesus showed up, they said, If you would have been here, he would not have died. And then there was a resurrection. It was all in the framework of hope. Hope. And you know, sometimes when we hope for things, sometimes when we desire things, sometimes when we even have vision and we think this is the way God's leading in some way, God changes it because we learn He really is in charge. You know, sometimes, I don't know what you're like, but sometimes I enjoy telling God, this is the way this thing ought to work. And God often will say, well, you know, that isn't really the way it's going to work. 
And sometimes we even fuss when God is changing things. But hope involves waiting on God. You may be hoping for some things in your life right now and wondering, maybe a little bewildered about it. Sometimes we don't tell our best of friends how we really feel. Hope involves waiting on God. My wife and I were years without children. We did not know if we could have children. And I remember we went to adopt twins. We made all the arrangements to adopt twins. And we went to adopt these twins. We were so excited. My wife and I were so excited. And when we got there, the whole thing fell through. And I so wanted to have a family. I so wanted to have these twins. And I remember leaving there. I was not a happy camper, to be honest with you. I was upset with me. I was upset with my wife. If I'd have known you, I'd have been upset with you probably because I really wanted to have twins. And I remember my wife and I came up with this idea. It was more her idea than mine that we would start to pray and, and ask some people that really seemed like they were close to God in their prayer life to pray that we could have children. And we chose five people, and they were wonderful friends of ours. And my, how they prayed. And it wasn't long after that we had our first child born. Then we had our second child born. Then we had our third child born. Then we had our fourth child born. I said, Olin, quit praying. I can't, I, can't, I can't take care of this as it is. And I was so thankful we did not have the twins because I realized the responsibility of raising these four. Waiting on God. In the Old Testament, I want you to go back to the Old Testament for a moment, to the book of Lamentations. It's a hard book to find, all right? Go back to the book of Lamentations and look with me at Lamentations chapter number 3. Jeremiah the prophet in his lamenting. In Jeremiah chapter number 3, he says something very interesting. Now Lamentations is in the Old Testament after the book of Jeremiah. It's just before the book of Ezekiel. In five minutes, if you haven't found it, just look intelligent. Nobody will know the difference, all right? <laughs> Lamentations 3, look at verse 21. Here's what the Bible says in Lamentations. Jeremiah, verse 21, Lamentations 3. He says, this I recall to my mind. Now remember, Jeremiah is writing, writing about all the lamenting, the heartache, the problems of the nation. He says, this I recall to my mind. He says, therefore, I have hope. He says, I have confidence. So he says in verse 21, this is where my confidence is at. He says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And aren't you glad today God is faithful to us? He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. Now look at the next verse. The Lord is good to those who, and here's the word, wait for Him. Sometimes in our hoping... We have to wait on God. For he goes on and says to the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly. The Bible tells us to be looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus Christ came today? A wonderful thing, Jesus would come. But we are to wait. We are to hope and we are to wait. We're looking for that blessed hope. And there are things in all of our experiences of life that we have to stop and we have to wait on. And God says, wait on this thing. And, and that waiting is that confidence that God gives to us. And sometimes in the waiting, God changes how it actually happens. So hope involves waiting on God. 
But go back to Romans 5, if you would. Notice a second ingredient that is here, a second factor. It's found in verse number 3 in Romans chapter 5. It involves serving the Lord or working. In other words, we just don't sit idly by and do nothing, but we serve the Lord. Let me read beginning in verse 1, Romans 5. It says, Therefore, based upon this conclusion, having been justified by faith, our salvation is by Him, justified, standing before God as if we had never sinned, we have peace with God. That peace is with God. God the Father looks at us and He sees Christ. And therefore, our relationship with Him is what it should be because of Jesus. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom also we have access by faith. By faith we get unto Him, into this grace wherein we stand. And then He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now notice, as we hope, He says there's tribulation. And tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. Did you ever hear somebody say, I just got saved, and man, I've got more problems now than I ever had before? Maybe that was you when you came to Christ. God says that when we have this hope, it involves a working, it involves a serving the Lord. And, and what happens is this. As we live out our lives in hope, we begin to watch God do a work in our midst. God do a work in our church. God do a work in our lives that is absolutely amazing. And we look back at it and we say, truly, this was of God. A couple of years ago, we gave an honorary doctor's degree at our college to one of our graduates, a graduate of 1959. Her name is Grace Fabian. Grace and her husband went to Papua New Guinea to translate the scriptures. When he was translating 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter of the Bible, he was martyred for the cause of Christ. She came back home. And they thought probably the translation was done. She was heartbroken, obviously. The pastor at the funeral put her husband's shoes on the platform and said, who will fill these shoes? And walking to the front and standing in those shoes was Grace Fabian's son. And they went back, and the translation is now done. It's found in a great book. If you want to get it, you can Google it called Outrageous Grace, the story of missionary Grace Fabian. Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord when it does not seem like, uh, like things are going our way. But we keep on serving the Lord. I love it when things are on the mountaintop, don't you? But when they get in the valley, it's a little different. And God says hope involves this idea of, of working, serving out our Lord. And so he reminds us there about tribulation and per perseverance that eventually builds up character in our lives. The men and women of God that are the men and women of God that we should follow are usually the individuals who've gone down their road and they have found in their journey of life that there have been challenges and difficulties, but they have found that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords still is there granting them exactly what they need in their lives. Hope involves working, serving the Lord. I was preaching in a Bible conference over in Albany, New York, and a few years ago, and it was a Sunday through a Wednesday night, and I was coming up the stairwell on a, on a Tuesday night. They had a supper that night, and they were coming up the stairwell, and there was an elderly man coming up the stairs, and I was helping him up the stairs. So I just wanted to make conversation with him. I said, is your wife here? Uh, he said, no, my wife is in heaven. And I said, I'm sorry. He said, what are you sorry for? She's in heaven. And so I said, do you have any children here? He said, no, all of my children are in heaven. I couldn't believe it. And unfortunately, I said again, I'm sorry. 
That's the natural thing we say, isn't it? And again, he said, what are you sorry for? They're all in heaven. Did you ever have one of those conversations going nowhere? This was one of them. <laughs> so I said, I, 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 I got really broad then. I said, well, do you have any relatives anywhere? And I couldn't believe it. He said, all my relatives that I know of are in heaven. And I did not see I'm sorry again. But that dear man got to the top of the stairs and he said, this church is my family. And I love this church. And they love me. He said, on Sunday morning, he said, I go to the front. I pass the bulletins out. I shake hands with all the men. And he said, I kiss all the women. And nobody cares because I'm so old, is what he said. And he looked like he was just enjoying his life. He had his hope. His hope was secure. He was serving his Lord. And that's what it says in verse 3. Tribulation, perseverance. But notice it builds character. And that brings us to the third factor that is found here. Hope involves waiting on God, working for the Lord. But it also involves our walk with God. And the term walking there has with it the idea of character building. It builds the character we have in life. And, and it is interesting in the book of Ephesians and in Colossians and in many of the New Testament epistles, but especially those two, you often find that idea of walking with God, that word walk. The word walk means what it says. We're walking. The word walk, however, in the Christian life means in our journey of life, we are walking with Him. He is walking with us. It was said of Noah. It was said of Enoch in the Old Testament. Then, and in the book of Hebrews, that they walked with God. Walking has to do with our character. It has to do with how we are living out our lives. Turn in your Bibles over to the book of Hebrews, if you would, and look at chapter number 3. Go to Hebrews chapter number 3, if you would. And, and notice how the, the epistles remind us of this idea of the walk with God, but also reminds us of the confidence we have as we take this journey with God. In Hebrews chapter number 3, the Bible says these words in verse number 6. Hebrews 3, 6, it says, But Christ, that's the heart of it all, He is the hope, Christ as a son over His own house, whose host, house we are, if we hold fast. Now here's the definition, the confidence. Remember, hope is confidence. It's not wishing, it's confidence. We hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Notice he says, this hope is firm even unto the end. Look down at verse number 14 of Hebrews 3. It says, for we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence, there's the definition again, our confidence. Our confidence is in him. The book of Hebrews is talking about Jesus Christ superior to all of it. Superior to the sacrifices. Superior to, uh, uh, to the temple. Superior to the angels. And so our confidence, it says here, is in Him. And we hold fast that confidence, steadfast to the end, the Bible says. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 18. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 18. It says in Hebrews 6, 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. Now notice, who have fled for refuge, one of the definitions, to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. So hope involves our walk with God. We have a world today that is questioning in America who God is. We talk about God but boy, be careful how you mention the name of Jesus, right? You can talk about God, but be careful how much you talk about God depending on where you're at. 
And these people that are really followers of Jesus Christ, boy, you better watch out for some of them. That's, that's the world we live in today. It's just the way it is. You say, I don't like it. I don't like it either. It's just the way it is. Some of us say, I wish America was like it was 150 years ago. I remind you, in the Bible days, it was wicked back then. The days of Nero was wicked back then. But God's people were God's people. They walked with God. I believe with all of my heart, the finest people on the face of God's earth are God's people who are walking and living out their faith life, their faith journey. A few years ago, my wife had cancer, very serious cancer. I lived in Florida at the time, and I remember taking her for her surgery. I remember standing there and watching. There's a few church members there with me, precious people that were there. And I watched them as they took my wife away to the surgery. And I cannot begin to tell you how alone I felt, how empty I felt watching my wife go down that hallway. I turned around and I looked in the doorway by a stairwell. There was a friend of mine. I lived in Florida, South Florida. This friend of mine was from North Carolina. His name is Rudy Holland. Rudy was a, is a pastor friend of mine. I went over and I saw Rudy. I said, Rudy, what are you doing here? He said, I came here to be with you. He said, if you want a cup of coffee, I'm going to buy you a cup of coffee. He said, if you want to, uh, if you want to talk, I'll listen. He said, if you want to complain, you can complain to me. I'll listen to that too. He said, if you want a sandwich, I'm going to buy you the sandwich. He said, I'm here for you. And I cannot begin to tell you what a comfort that was to my heart. It was great to see the church members, Absolutely. But all the way flying from North Carolina to be there with me for a few days? Two days later after that, my only brother, he had just called me about my wife's surgery, died in a house fire. And I remember I had my wife home and she was convalescing at home and a few days later and I went to the front door, the doorbell was ringing, I opened it up and there was a couple there from Tennessee. Their names are Jerry and Marie. They drove all the way down. And I said to them, I said, what are you doing here? They said, we just came here to be with you. We want to spend time with you. How can we help you? Now, why do people do that? They're not my relatives. We have a good friendship, but I didn't know it was that close. The interesting thing is, it's because we're the people of God. And I want to encourage you, my dear friends, to love your church. Love this place that is called the body of Christ locally. Love your pastor. Love this ministry that God is raising up here. Because you know what? The people who aren't here today and who do not go to church normally, they also are in need of help. And the help that they need is hope. They need to know there's something more than what they have now. And where do they find it? They find it with the people that are walking with God. And I want to tell you this many times. We do not have any idea of the influence we have in people's lives. And sometimes you don't even know it. And one day when you're in heaven, you'll find that out. But the influence we have can absolutely be overwhelming. But we don't know it, even while we're here. When I was back, when the, our college was practical Bible training school, back a few days before your pastor was there, I'm before him actually, quite a few years actually before him. I had a little youth group out in the country. My wife and I were dating at the time. I would go out and have this little youth group. I didn't know much about the Bible. I taught them what I learned at the school. I learned something at the school and go and treat these young people. 
And somebody had given me a beautiful three-piece suit. And I was wearing this three-piece suit. I was so proud of my three-piece suit. I stood before those young people. As I stood before them, I was giving them, I'm sure, a great profound truth on the chalkboard I had learned from the Bible college. They were so interested in what I was saying. I turned around. One little girl was climbing out the window. And she was a beautiful girl with bright red hair, about 13 years of age. I went outside and got her. I said, what are you doing out here? She said, you're boring. Isn't that encouraging? She said, you're boring. I said, well, come back in. I'll bore you some more. You know, just, you've got to stay in here, though. And I left. I left and was gone years later. And I thought that girl never learned a thing from me. My wife and I were then in, out in Ohio. I was speaking at a Bible conference in a Bible college. And I was, it was after the morning session. We were walking toward lunch. And I was walking next to my wife. And the president of the college was a very distinguished, godly man. This college had very strict standards there. And here he was walking here. My wife was here. And all of a sudden I heard somebody say, Oh, there you are. And I turned around and here was a woman now, beautiful woman with bright red hair. And she's running at me with her arms stretched out like this. And I thought to myself, this is not a very good situation. <laughs> I've got this president here. i got my wife here. So I took my wife and put my wife in front of me like this. And she came up and she hugged and she kissed my wife. And then she did the same thing with me. And I was glad she did it in that order, by the way. And she said to me, she said, you don't, uh, you don't remember me, do you? I said, no, I don't remember you. And she gave me her name. And uh, she was that girl in that youth group years ago. And she said to my wife and I, I want to thank you for your faithfulness with that youth group. And she said, you had an influence in my life, a great influence. I never knew that. I said to her, what are you doing here? She said, I teach at this college. I must tell you, I was dumbfounded. And in my carnal nature, I thought, this place must have a hard time finding teachers if you're teaching here <laughs> from what I remember about you. But isn't that amazing? You never know. So hope involves walking with God. Because when you walk with God through your hope, somebody else will say, I, too, can walk with God with that hope. Look at verse 5 of the passage, if you would. And notice with me, hope also involves the worship of God. I enjoyed so much the worship musically today that you had at your church. If you look at verse 5, he speaks about worship. And he says it in a very unique way here. He says, now hope does not disappoint. Hope will not disappoint you. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And what he is speaking there is about this idea of our relationship with God, and he's speaking here about worship. I find it interesting that there are a number of places in the Bible where the Scripture says a lot about worship. Do you know there will be a day when we won't do evangelism anymore? There will be a day when we will not be doing missions? But there shall never be a day that we don't worship God. When we're with the Lord, we do not need in heaven evangelism. We do not need missions, but we will be worshiping God. And I find it interesting that one of the most unique places in Scripture, when the Bible speaks about worship, is when Jesus went through Samaria. As he went through Samaria, he went to Jacob's well, and he was sitting on the well, and a woman came. And that woman was a Samaritan woman. The other women came in the morning, they came in the evening to get their water, but she came at noon because nobody wanted to be with her. The other women perhaps talked about her. Maybe they gossiped about her. Who knows what they were doing? 
But she came at noon because she wanted to be left all alone because of her sinful life. And there at the well is this man who begins to talk to her. And she says to him, don't you know Jewish men don't talk to women, much less Samaritan women? And Jesus said, I've got water you have need of. And she said, you've got water that I have need of? Do you mean I never have to come back to this well again? If I have water like what you're talking about, you let me know where I can have that water. I'll go back and show those women back there I don't need to come here anymore. And Jesus said, I've got something better to give you. I've got water that you need that is spiritual water. She wonders what he's talking about. And then he said, would you go call your husband? And immediately that goes right through her. And she said, I, I, I don't have a husband. And then he says, I know you've, got, you've had five. And she must be wondering, how far has the gossip gone? Where did he come from? And then he said, the one that you're living with is not even your husband now. And so she did what most of us would do when we don't like the conversation. She begins to change the topic. And she said, let's talk about worship. You worship in Jerusalem. We Samaritans, we worship out, in, out of Mount Gerizim. Where's the place to worship? And Jesus said, that's not the issue. The issue is who you're worshiping. Then he gave those profound words. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now get this. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. She goes back and tells the town, I think I've found the one. He's the Messiah. And her life has changed. Did you know in Acts chapter 8, when Philip is preaching there to the people of, of Samaria, there are many Bible scholars who say that all began, that revival all began because of a woman that Jesus went to. And Jesus taught worship to that woman. And I want you to know, folks, we are built in our lives to worship God. And the more that you and I worship God, the more you and I are in relationship with the holy God of heaven, the more we have a desire then to worship Him and to understand who He is and the greater hope that God's given to us. The fifth thing that is found in this passage, it is in all five verses, but to understand it, you have to go back to chapter 4. Hope not only involves worshiping God and walking with God and waiting on God and serving the Lord. But, but the Bible makes it clear here that hope is a possession. Hope is not just something. Hope is a possession. And in Romans chapter 4, we have Abraham as the illustration of someone who is justified by faith. And you will find in that passage... The four elements I've just mentioned, the four factors I've just mentioned about hope. In verses 9 and 10, he is waiting on God. In the passage, he is working, looking for a land. Remember, God said to him, go look for a land. He did not know where the land was at. didn't know how to get there. But by faith, off he went. In chapter 4 of the book of Romans, if you look at verse number 12, he is walking with God. It says there, and the father of the circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith. Notice he is walking with God. And then if you look at chapter 4 and verse number 18, he is worshiping God. It says, who contrary to hope and hope believed, so he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Notice it says, who contrary to hope and hope believed. 
if there was ever an example of somebody who was hoping and looking for that great confidence and as a possession, it was the Old Testament story of Abram who became Abraham. Now the question that obviously is this, what exactly is this hope? The Bible says it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. It is Jesus Christ, our hope, 1 Timothy 1.1. 1, 1. It is drawing nigh to God in hope, Hebrews 7, verse 19. It is this idea that this hope is found thoroughly in Him. In 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says these words in 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it does not yet reveal what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as he is pure. Hope. Hope is therefore a possession. It is the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is our hope. A few years ago, our college put out a book called Hope Grows in Winter. It was a testimony of a number of men and women who went through the winter of life and found hope. Hope in Christ. It was a story of a missionary going off to the missionary to the mission field and losing children through death. It was a story of a pastor stopping to help some people in a terrible accident, getting blood on himself, and now having incurable AIDS. It's a story of a pastor who spent all of his life with chemical depression and how he deals with it. What did they find? They found in Christ hope. I say to all of you here today, and I say it to me, don't ever give up on the hope that we have in Christ. I was boarding an airplane in Fort Lauderdale, Florida a while back, and I was flying to Baltimore to do a Bible conference. And it was a beautiful morning, beautiful, beautiful day. Sun was shining. I was on the uh, window seat, and there were two seats next to me. I knew somebody was going to sit there. And I was waiting to see who was going to sit next to me. Often on an airplane, you get a nice conversation. Sometimes people don't want to talk. I just sat there with relaxing clothes on, nothing in my lap. And as I was sitting there, a couple came by. It was obviously they were going to sit there. The man looked at me and he said, this is what he said to me. He said, are you a minister? I thought, why in the world is he asking me, am I a minister? And I, I answered very quickly. But I cannot begin to tell you the things that rushed through my mind. Was there something on the news last night where he's mad at a minister? Did he just have a run-in with a minister? I, I wonder, why would he ask me if I'm a minister? And so I said it somewhat reluctantly. I said, yes, I am. He said, good. They didn't say anything else. And finally he sat down and I looked over to him. I said, why did you ask me if I was a minister? The man's name was Calvin. And he said to me, he said, I asked you that because yesterday, he said, in Baltimore, my uh, sister fell down the steps and broke her neck and died. And I'm going to the funeral. And he said, I got up this morning and I prayed that I could sit down next to a minister. Believe me, he had my attention. As we were flying to Baltimore, it takes, I don't know, a couple hours, something like that, we began to talk. And in the course of the conversation, I had the privilege of leading him to Christ. His wife did not get saved till later on, but I had the privilege of leading him to Christ. It was a wonderful conversation. I left them in Baltimore. I went to the conference. I came back home and I, I was speaking to the church I passed at the time in Miami. And I very briefly told them the story and told them the name of the man that I led to Christ. In our church, we had in that, in that particular church, 
uh, some members of Secret Service, CIA, FBI people. And after the service, they were surrounding me in the lobby. I thought, what in the world do they want? And uh, they said, do you realize who you led to Christ? I said, yes, and I gave his name. All they said, you don't realize it, but that was our boss. And they said, we have been praying for him for a long time to be saved. And one of the men standing there said this to me. He said, do you know what? I just about lost hope. I thought he'd never get saved. And I thought to myself as I listened to that, the way that God works is wonders to perform. How does that happen? An unsaved man gets up in the morning. He prays to a God he does not know. He prays to sit next to a, somebody on the airplane who's a minister. Were there other ministers on the airplane? Did the attendant know how to put the t tickets together next to a minister? Did the kiosk machine know how to do that? How does that work? And how is it that he would sit next to me when there's a group of men in my church praying for his salvation? How does that work? I have no idea. But I want you to know this. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And if God can manifest himself in the flesh, I can assure you, he can do many, many other things. Don't ever, 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 ever give up on your hope. That hope that is secure and founded in Jesus Christ. The great evangelist of a couple centuries ago was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody went to England and preached. God was greatly using the meeting there. His song leader was a man named Iris Sankey. And Mr. Moody said to Mr. Sankey, the gypsies are not allowed to come to the meetings. The police won't let them in. Would you, uh, would you consider going with me to the gypsy village? And we'll have a service with them. Mr. Sankey said, well, of course we'll do that. So they went out to the gypsy village and preached, and then as they were leaving in a horse and buggy, the gypsy children and teenagers all gathered around that horse and buggy, probably to pick pockets. Mr. Sankey reached over and put his head on a little boy. They said, dear God, save this boy and make him a preacher. They went back to the meeting in England and came home and years had come and years had gone. And as those years came and as those years went, Mr. Sankey and Mr. Moody were no longer in evangelism. In fact, Mr. Sankey was living in Brooklyn, New York. And as he was living there, he was now nearly blind. And there was this story of an evangelist in England that was having great meetings. In fact, on Sunday nights, 10,000 people were coming to his, his meetings. And he was coming to America. And when he came to America, he said, the first place I want to go is to Brooklyn. And he said, I want to go to Brooklyn and meet Mr. Sankey. So he went there. And he met with Mr. Sankey. And he said, do you remember years ago, you came to the Gypsy Village? And he said, do you remember when you put your hand on a boy's head and you prayed that he be a Christian and then a preacher? And Mr. Sankey said, yeah, I do remember that. And the man said, that's me. My last name is Smith. They call me the Gypsy. I'm Gypsy Smith, the evangelist. Gypsy Smith became a great preacher. And in his older days, a young man, a man heard him preach. And he went up to Gypsy Smith and he said, When I was a young man, 
I remember listening to you. And you have not lost the fervor that you have today in preaching God's Word. Why is that? And his answer was simply this. The gypsy said, because I've never lost the wonder of it all. And next to him was a young evangelist named Vance Havner. And Vance Havner heard that. And he told Al Smith, who lived at that time in Montrose, Pennsylvania, and Al Smith wrote that beautiful song, I've never lost the wonder of it all. And church, I tell you today, that is what our hope is. It's Him. Don't ever lose the wonder of it all. Father, thank You today for Your Word. And thank You for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank You, Lord, that You never leave us nor forsake us that you are always our God. And Father, as we think about hope today, and we're reminded of a prime minister giving his nation hope, as we're reminded today of a man writing a book and reminding us that when we understand life is difficult and accept that it, it's not so difficult, when we hear about a little girl with red hair that was listening when no one thought she was listening, when we think about an evangelist in his dying days, who laid his hand on a boy's head, the truth of Romans 5 begins to come to life. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. And for any who may be here today without that blessed hope, help them, Lord, to realize that Jesus is our confidence. In his name I pray. Amen.